0: 54321, and we're live. Jonathan Lewis, that was a very quick entry.
1: It was a very quick entry.
0: Do you know who the richest person in the world is currently? (laughs) <laughs> um following our conversation prior to recording about the richest woman in the world being Jeff Bezos's ex-wife. Um I would have said Jeff Bezos, but you I think the fact that you're now telling me that or asking me that question insinuates or maybe I'm inferring from it, I don't know, that it's not.
1: No, well. Well, I would this is this was updated January 25th. So I think that was before Tesla took a little bit of a nose dive. I say a fifteen twenty okay. percent drop in a uh, stock price. Is it Elon? It is Elon. He was then worth one hundred ninety-seven billion dollars. Christ alive! That is obviously tied up in most of it. I would say ninety percent of that's in, his, in Tesla, or if not all of it. <clears throat> but yeah, I think he takes a wage of a pound, isn't he? Something stupid. Yes,
0: <clears throat> I, I would. I don't. I don't know if I'd ever want to be that rich. Like, there must come. There must become, no, sorry, it must come with so much more hassle and stress being that rich than it's probably worth. Um, I mean, I certainly bear in mind I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself, I like nice things, but I wouldn't consider myself materialistic.
1: I think sometimes the process of, I suppose, very much like um, dieting is sometimes that the process is quite enjoyable and you have to work at them to get them in that's worthwhile. When you're worth 200 billion, you can buy whatever you like, whenever you like, and it doesn't make. You can buy a, a probably buy a country if you wanted to, and it's like there's nothing to. I, I, these people don't really work for money. I know, stupid. They don't work for money. They they work for a passion, and like they, he loves building electric cars. And he yeah,
0: well, de- definitely. I've definitely with Elon. I think it sounds as though he has just got this weird genius brain that. He only feels satisfied when it is going on for the next big thing or the next complicated thing or the next you know massive event. I think with Bezos, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, I don't know nothing about either of these guys, let's be honest. But he, I suppose he can't possibly be doing it for more money, like for actually being r- richer, I should say, because he got so much money. Like both of them got so much money that more than they could ever spend in a billion lifetimes. So, like... <laughs> You do, you do think they can't be, like, surely just doing it for more money. It must be either the status that comes with more zeros or just, you know, they want to be the richest man in the world, the status of that, or I don't know. Or maybe they've just driven that. They always got to, they've always got to do more. They've always got to be better than they've, they've kind of got. And the only way you can quantify that is by the money in the bank type thing or the, or the share price or whatever. But
1: I mean all these billionaires. They're billionaires because they obviously love the process of what they do I very much doubt totally you become a billionaire just purely on hard work. I know some stupid, but you've got to have is there's only a, it's only a certain there's only a certain way hard work can take you. It's very much like dieting. You could be as, you could work as hard as you like, but if the principle's not in place then you ain't gonna get anywhere. Like it's difficult to build a multi billion dollar company poorly on hard work. You've got to have a talent, skill, motivation and the passion to do mm. that particular thing.
0: You know I, I, mean? I would say that there'd be far more billionaires if that was that easy, though, I guess, because that's, I mean, that's the point, I guess, in that there's plenty of people that work hard. I mean, to be fair, you could, again, using, uh, using that as an analogy for dieting or bodybuilding or anything in the fitness industry, really, there's plenty of people that work hard and they don't do very well in bodybuilding shows, even though they kind of work hard and they do all the right things, they follow scientific principles and stuff because they just don't have the genetics or the luck. or I mean, the luck could be just turning up on the day against the right opposition, Um, because that's half of it. You you get to the stage, and then there's always going to be someone better than you. If if they turn up on the same stage as you, you don't win. Even if you did did exactly everything else the same, you you both worked as hard as you possibly could. You both followed the same scientific optimal principles, all that type of stuff. If they just happen to be genetically more gifted than you, Sorry, you fucked. It's just as simple as that. You're not going to win. So,
1: I think that is the same in business. When I'm, I, I don't think I wouldn't say I'm not capable. but I wouldn't like to run a large company. I'd, I'd rather be in the middle. So maybe there's some, a couple of people below me, a couple of people above me. So I don't have that huge pressure. When actually I can run the company into the floor or up there. Mm. That's just me. That's probably genetics. And that genetics, your makeup is not there to be a possible company and like an acceptor.
0: Yeah,
1: and yeah. Some people are just born like those people used to know they've they got something that most people haven't got. You listen to Elon Musk on Joe Rogan's podcast. He live, He operates on a different planet. He's yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. goes for the week all days and reads like six books not just frictional bullshit but like you know about AI and robotics and obviously really high, highly intellectual books how do you do that uh,
0: yeah i think de- definitely i think many people will go oh yeah i'm quite smart you know or, or i would say i'm quite intelligent whatever else not it's like yeah you are but it's only when you even hear people like him speak where you're like there are levels to this stuff and you realize that you're so far down level level after level they are like so many levels above you there's just it. it does become absolutely mind-blowing to think that there's people that smart in the world like to a point where you think it must be absolutely exhausting being someone like him where you've got so much going through your head the entire time just constantly yeah Um, and going back to wanting to not be rich though um i do genuinely think there's something in that in that i've always said most people don't want to be like necessarily or specifically a millionaire or a billionaire or they don't want to be like really really rich. I actually think what people mistake that or conflate that with just having financial freedom. Now that obviously yeah. then differs depend on depending on who you are and what your needs and wants are in terms of like what is financial freedom to you. Like for me, I would just like to be able to comfortably afford a nice house. And I say nice like I'm not talking like I want a fucking mansion like my house that I've got now. I would happily have that uh, mortgage free. Uh, have enough money to be able to not have to worry about paying bills. Um, you know, have a reasonably nice car. Again, car I've got now, more than happy I would have, but only you know, I wouldn't necessarily have to go out and buy a fucking supercar or something. And then, and I think I heard, I can't remember where I heard it. Maybe it was on on Joe Rogan actually, or unless someone told me, I can't remember now because I mixed up my memories. But someone said like actually financial freedom or kind of like that kind of idea of freedom. Is kind of being able to go out and order some food and not worry about how much it costs. I I think that's that resonated with me. I think actually, you know what? that is probably like a nice, simple way of quantifying what I mean by financial freedom and where I'd like to be. Where and you know, I I'd probably argue I'm kind of like I'm not far off that realm where I could go out to most restaurants and not worry about how much a food, you know, a meal costs.
1: That's a good place to be, and it's right. Financial freedom is definitely different from being rich because I think. <clears throat> like we watch this thing on um, YouTube, a guy tours houses in LA. I know this is you're talking like Belle LA, mega, and at least it's, it's six, seven, maybe ten million dollars before you start. But I said, <clears throat> I said who I said, <clears throat> but I bet the people who own these houses are not free, as in, I bet they can't enjoy that because if you can afford a 60 million dollar house, you're probably own a company or some descriptions, you're you probably highly stressed, highly strung, work mega hours, probably may not even see your family. So you may be rich, but your life isn't <clears throat> that good in terms of <clears throat> free time, you know, seeing your family, you know, going on holidays,
0: you know. I think, I think definitely let's not conflate being rich with being happy. That's where the financial yeah. freedom aspect comes in. Because yeah. There's a big difference. And I think like there's many rich people that are just not happy in the slightest, even though you think yourself, you know, what you're not to be happy about. You have got fucking millions or billions. You should be really happy. You know, you can do what you want, and yeah, but sometimes you can't do what you want because of, you know, like you said, commitments or like stress from jobs. And cause, I mean, unless they've got a shit ton of inheritance that they can yeah. then just kind of put their feet up and think, oh well, I'll just spend my inheritance.
1: I'd like to have enough money because I like cars to have a supercar for myself. but I'd also like to have enough money to do a hobby I'd want to do without worrying how much it costs. Like, I'd love to control Europe in a supercar. And I'd love to do that without worrying about much cost. How,
0: how much money do you think you'd need?
1: <clears throat> what, per month, as in,
0: like, serious? Say, no, say no, 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 let's just say, like, if you were to win the lottery, how much money would you need to win the, from, the lottery, from a lottery win to be able to then say, that's probably the minimum I'd need? Need or want? Need. Need to, to, need to feel financially free. So to do the things you want, like you say, to be able to have the car you want, the house you want, to be able to do the hobbies you want, we'll have to think about it. And obviously, it would have to then, I guess, well, either last you the rest of your life or be able to give you enough money to then do something that would return you an income off of you enjoy. But obviously, it has to be something that then you, you're you doing because you enjoy. Like I might say, hmm, I would just like half a million pounds to set up my own coffee shop and then, you know, that could just be pocket money to for spending just to keep my, um, keep me happy until you know? I die basically I've got a
1: figure in my head it's more than
0: yours <laughs> that's because you're a materialistic bastard Johnny
1: mm, I like supercars and for cars yeah, I'd want
0: I'm not saying I wouldn't like a supercar by any stretch because I would I'd love one but I, it just doesn't isn't one of those things where I think I, I would definitely have to have I would happily not have one I would have to have one I would have to go to Europe
1: and I would have to drive really fast across Italy, switzerland Switzerland, maybe not Switzerland, see we don't like cars, five million. Because I would then go and buy 50 properties and 100 grand, rent them out for about 600 quid a month each. Yeah. And know myself 30 grand a month. So I know then I can do what I like and not worry about it. So then the assets grow, rent grows over time. So I make more money over time. And there I worry about having money ever again i do what
0: okay. I want. When I want. You, you've not gone the spirit of this by saying I'm just going to borrow houses and live for the rental income. Um,
1: but yeah, that, that that gives me the, and I guess I'm the managers as well. By the way, I won't be managing it, but it gives you the it gives you the regular income to be able to do what you want. Because obviously, if you have five million cash, people. Let's be fair; there's a lot of winners who just pissed it all away. Who just don't know what to do with it, and five million is a lot of money, but. It's not that much to go and do. We want, when everyone for the rest, you
0: like well. If if you, if you don't earn the income, five million doesn't last. Actually, that amount of time. I mean, Michael Carroll is a prime example of that. When he, earned, I can't remember what his win was, but like twenty million or something ridiculous, and obviously sure. broke in a few years. Then again, he was also going around Swatham, which is quite close to where I live. Um, fucking apparently with a catapult, putting pellets through cars and just vandalizing shit. So obviously fines and uh, his his uh, hobbies of demolition derby in his back gardens and just shit like that i think he soon spunked away all his cash but um yeah yeah just going to the, the property thing i know this is a nutrition podcast but we are going to be we are talking obviously about investments and finances now um actually the yields on properties as oh. well, well you'll know they aren't as high as most people think i mean when you start taking out well i guess you wouldn't have mortgage payments because obviously you'd have laid a you know you'd have bought them in cash with your five million but when you take out management fees and um, stamp duties and taxes and all that shit, the actual rental income on on all the yields on properties, especially you then start servicing and maintenance, all the stuff that goes wrong with them as well, ain't that good? People think they're fucking really good investments, but I'll be honest, they they can be a pain in the ass. Especially, I mean, it's all right if you're kind of got a single uh, or you know you've got a single other property that you're managing yourself, and you know you've got mates who can do some of the stuff for cheaper stuff. You can yeah, you can make a good bit of money out of them, but think otherwise they're they're not as i mean they are still attracting investments i'm not saying they're not but i just think some people think oh yeah it'd be right. brilliant they're just not as i don't you know you're not going to be making if you've got if you've got a rental income of five six seven hundred quid a month or whatever it is a lot of that is going to disappear every month on fees and yeah. taxes and stuff like that
1: what I, I what i would also do is the money i generate every month i would definitely invest in stocks and shares but i give it to someone to invest not a hedge fund manager because it all for crooks um I'd have to, I don't know. I'd have to find someone to invest it for me and screw yeah. up. Maybe you know, growth stocks, maybe a couple of divvies. But for me, it's it's it's, nah, it's not really safe. When shares and stocks, really shares, stocks, shares obviously fluctuate daily, then weekly, monthly, yearly. But
0: well, the, the long, the longer term, they're reasonably safe in that. You know, I've said all along, they only uh, over a longer term, as in years, mm. they only really go one way. Um, as long as you can afford to avoid the, the massive troughs that happen in terms of global pandemics or uh, countries leaving European states or unions and those types of things, then yeah. And you're not
1: like a lot of people with me. They'll they'll say, "Oh look, I, I'm, I'm I'm investing in this share, whatever." Oh, it's going to go from you're talking penny shares now to, do- to dollar shares, and like. I very much doubt it. I said you know I'm not saying it can't ever happen because I imagine it's happening at some point however what are you basing our assumption on yeah that, I said, that, oh, that... I said, if you look well actually earnings per share they don't earn anything they don't earn any money at all so there's no EPS because there's, there's no P ratio there's nothing so what are you investing in for a punt I said fine that's not an investment that's a punt that's a, that's a gamble yeah.
0: that's what I was about to say yeah. That's about to say, when people start with penny shares, you're, you're going from uh, strategically investing to essentially gambling. Because, um, yeah. like you say, there aren't many penny shares that then become like huge value. I mean, a lot of people, especially like oil companies, you know, they're the sort of ones that people invest a lot of ga- or gamble a lot in because they're like, I'll oh, buy penny shares and these oil companies just hope they hit oil. If they hit oil, all of a sudden they can rocket. Or, you know, the old tech firm, that type of thing where they come across a, a tech product that all of a sudden becomes a A market staple, or or yeah, well a market staple, and then all of a sudden it's like a big, big, I mean, because Apple, you know, Tesla, all them, they all started in that, but there are a hundred thousand other companies that all tried the same thing that are all just gone. So, I mean, that's where the gambling, and you know, when my comment about equities only go one way. That comment's based on the fact that investing in reputable companies that have already have obviously huge financial backing. I'm not talking about penny shares and some small companies where you're effectively gambling. But anyway,
1: this goes. This is a very good analogy for nutrition, isn't it? People look for the magic, as in the penny shares that go to pounds. You know, one in hundred thousand companies, maybe they'll do it. Maybe they will, and that's just like you. Or you in particular, but people are going on to find the magic diet, you know. It's like, it's like, remember when obviously Joe Rich said a lot of um success, in he, but I think he was, you know, the failure rate was horrific, it was 90%. It's like again, a, a minority of people will hit the gold and lose the weight, blah blah blah, but most won't. And the big companies, Apple, Microsoft, have been going 40 years, 50 years, at, uh, Apple. Ish. Tesla not so long, but they've been around since mid 2000s, late 2000s wherever. They have gained maybe not so much Tesla, so they're a bit overvalued, I would say. But if you look at Microsoft Apple, if you invested them in 30 years ago, you would be a millionaire but we were taking 30 years. You know, it's just like dieting in doesn't take a short amount of time, depending on where you've come from. If you spend 20 years of your life, Obese. You think they come off in a month? It's just like the penny share. You're not going to get that. You're not making rich on shares generally speaking. Longer, slower, lower. Is best No extremes. Consistency. Always best you And, and Warren Buffett said, that's like he was asked the question, "Why, uh, if it's that easy to invest like you do, why don't more people? Why aren't more people rich? Because they don't want to get rich slow." Just like dieting. People don't want to get
0: shredded slow. They want it now. And then does it work 99% of the time? No, it does not. Even, I just i to touch on that and chip in. Even the, I mean, I guess there are elements where we will kind of look at rapid programs or faster rates of loss and stuff. But I think in the grand scheme of things, they're usually just kind of like smaller periods sped up. I think most people, I mean, I, I would utilize most more aggressive diets that have a faster rate of loss in certain periods. Um, sometimes we like new clients just to get buy-in at the start because it's obviously hugely motivational. Sometimes just periods of just kind of digging and grinding when you can. But when you look at the overall bigger picture, generally there is a, you know, is a slower, more sustainable kind of th- thing that happens um, within a longer program. There'll be periods of faster, like in that longer program. But I mean, like you say, I mean, I mean that and that could be the same said for shares. You might have some some kind of like higher risk shares that kind of generate a, a larger return and, higher, and increase your portfolio. But that's going to be alongside other things like lower lower risk shares that just um, diversify and, and spread risk away. So anyway, <laughs> shall we ever let's have a training update or a nutrition update for you, J-Dog, and then I'll do one and then we can go on today's topic.
1: Uh, make, no, still make none still, should hold in the same weight, So we're, we're happy days. But I think I'm going to start I know this week and next week I'll start a, a smallish dieting phase.
0: I'll go. How, how long have you been maintaining for again since four or weeks. five weeks?
1: Yeah, something like that, four or five weeks. So maybe get another week or two, maybe you know, so it ends have been seven, eight weeks. So, then,
0: sorry, mate, just, just for anyone listening in case they can't remember or didn't listen to other episodes, I guess you had a reasonably long and successful dieting phase, found yeah. out obviously that your wedding was not happening, and then have had a, a bit of a, Diet break, I guess, in terms of four or five weeks maintenance before deciding, obviously, you want to diet again.
1: Yeah. So I got to, I think it was like two or seven, two or eight. And I fluctuated quite a lot with two extra carbs. I'm about, I'm about 212, which is about right for me. As in, how much sure I'll gain without gaining fat, you know what I mean? So I'm there. So the plan is to go to 200, maybe marginally under. Um, I have another break. Not so long. Maybe three or four weeks at that weight, maybe fluctuate between 200 and 205, and then go like that across the next year and a bit. Because for me, I've, I've tried to not go, I don't do stupid bulks or such, but to, for me to gain weight, I gain quite a lot of fat as well. So for me, I'm better off starting considerably lower than I have before.
0: When, when you say when you say gain weight, you mean for you to gain muscle, you gain yeah. consume that fat. Yeah, just just want yeah. just people understand what you mean.
1: So, so as obviously, if you're so you start in, you know, trying to gain muscle at fifteen percent by fat, but twenty is you look quite considerably considerably different negatively. But if you start at ten and go to fifteen, you should look pretty good. Mm-hmm. So the the overall goal for me is to get low, and never get. Like, for me, I, shouldn't, I probably should never be above £200, Pardon, I don't think. So if I'm 200 under all the time, I think that's a good place to be in. You know, if I've got a holiday to come up in you know, 12 weeks, I could be in decent nick. Mm-hmm. And it's a better base to gain muscle. Like, I'm well aware my genetics are not very really good, so I'm never going to be big, ever. However... I can be conditioned, Again, everybody can be conditioned within reason. So yeah, that's what I'm going to do, longer and slower, just to get I want to be, obviously, wedding next June. So that's, that's uh, well, 15 months away isn't it so I want to be ready, well maybe the end of this year. So there's plenty of time to dial her in if it needs to be later on. Okay. Train sit in the garage. Um on a power rack, just doing squats, Romanians, straight legs, standing military press, bench pressing, glide press, press ups, um, my curls on the bar, mostly center around the bar. Yeah,
0: funny that, yeah, pretty so much all you've got, is it? <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty much. Yeah, I would buy a few more bits, but I'm, I need to get a pulley for my power rack, but not in stock yet. So when right. I get that.
0: It's enough. Pu- pulleys do make they open up a wide array of ec- uh, extra exercise exercise yeah. choices, especially for the back. Like it's such a huge difference. Um, I I I mean I got I you got Morfit rack, didn't you? Yeah. Which I will say, anyone listening that is trying to get a rack, if there's any in stock, Morfit, so well priced for the quality you get. I will say that fantastic. All okay, in stock in the minute, even the big racks. Yeah, I I would. Um, I mean, I, if you, if anyone's interested in kind of setting up a home, gym you have the space for one? I would recommend them for the price point. Like, they're so cheap for the stat. I mean, they're not commercial quality by any stretch, but they're better than any other kind of like home gym quality. And they are like probably cheaper than your average like home gym um, price. I mean, I can't remember what I paid for my wrap, like 300 quid or something uh, with a pulley, which is ridiculous. So, oh, I'll, I'll, you know, caveat this was very prior COVID, as in I've had mine about three and a half years now. Whereas I know, I guess, COVID prices, they're going to be a bit of a COVID tax on, as there always is. Is two
1: if one if one the rack and the pulley the rack is the M one hundred rack is two nine nine the pulley system which I think is gonna there's, there's a separate one which is two fifty and there's one that attaches to it which is about hundred and something or other yeah. so yeah you'd probably put in two hundred good on top of the ore I
0: think these I think the separate one is it am I, am I right in thinking it's like it's a bench station with a with a a low pulley and a mid pulley and a high pulley maybe three pulleys is it I think so. It's definitely got a low and high. Yeah. Because I would say the, the only thing mine is, obviously mine is only a low and high, um, which is still fine, but a mid one, sometimes you think, oh, that'd be nice. Having, you know, in case you want to do like, uh, I don't know, you could you could rack up like a chest fly. Because obviously, when you, if you've got um, one pulley, it's difficult to do. You obviously have to do single arm flies if you want to do any kind of like chest fly or you have to kind of um, basically mishmash some attachments together to try and get some kind of like chest and fly um, range of motion on it which isn't easy or nice so um, I think with a mid one then makes a bit better because of the angle um, but yeah I mean I, get, I guess like you can still get away with a low for the most point rather than has to be a mid one but anyway um, just having a pulley full stop just makes so much more difference in terms of being able to do things like rows or um, kind of like say some some kind of chest movements, um, biceps, triceps um, just kind of different variants on those. I actually really like um, being able to do things like a, a bit like a belt squat from a low pulley. Um, some people don't really like them in terms of, I guess, the angle of force because like, you obviously have to step back, so the angle's kind of going down at a diagonal rather than like straight, straight below, you kind of following the line of gravity like a, a proper belt squat machine would. Um, but you kind of have a, a, a decent quality belt, and round the hips, I still think it's quite nice. Still, really like it. I still get really nice feel in terms of it. And it, what I really like about it is that then takes out or gives you another option for legs that isn't axle loading because it's quite difficult legs, like especially with a barbell where it's like you, you're going to have a bar on your back, so you kind of got lower back stress all the time. And obviously, when you end up only doing that, or you, your alternatives are like some you know lunges or Bulgarians or something like that this just a nice little variant to replicate a bit you know maybe a bit like a leg press or something where you've kind of got a nice reasonably heavy um leg movement you can do but it isn't completely going to cane your lower back and axle load you all the time So i did see um oh, what
1: was the brand? i can't remember the brand it was a hack
0: squat and a leg press in one machine it was has 1200 quid i thought i was at uh, body maybe uh, there's body space or something. I think there's one that's really popular. You see all the time. Um, Harry Smith. I was chatting to him about it once about looking at getting one because yeah, I think they before COVID they were like eight hundred quid new. And I was like, that's obviously reasonable price, really. But yeah. he said that he's he's known a few people that have them and the range of motion on them are pretty poor. So that's always put me off. I really want. I've been looking for ages. And I think I said before about getting a commercial one, but uh, nice. yeah, they are obviously expensive. I've been trying to be do the not so honourable thing keep my eye on like Gumtree and Ebay and stuff like that for any gyms that are closing down to try and try, try and scavenge theirs off them but you can't
1: yeah. buy it monthly you can
0: pay monthly you can't really want it to
1: well
0: without being Billy Big Balls mate I could probably go buy one if I wanted to um, I just can't part with the amount of money that they would cost like three or four thousand for one um, just can't do it. That's why I've got three or four thousand sitting there because I don't just spend it on willingly shit. As I said, I'm not <laughs> I'm not very materialistic. <laughs> That's really uncouth. Is it? Is it so British to not talk about money? Like everyone, feel, I feel I feel dirty even saying that I've got any type of savings. I don't think it's, I don't think it's uncouth i you say right, whatever, it? but yeah. I, I mean, I would love a hack squat. I think that would be the one thing that I would definitely buy if really? I could get one for the right money.
1: It's worth it because you train. You no, know, probably
0: used. You no, know, at least once a week, maybe twice a week. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've got no doubt. I'll get my money's worth. It's just, you know, yeah. I, ideally the best thing that could happen is a gym closes, got loads of equipment, they just want to get rid of it, and I can pick one up at a decent, like you know, a cheap price, like a good, like semi or or commercial one. Um, and I would pay more money. I'd pay more than eight hundred quid for one if it was decent. The problem is, there's been a few gone on eBay and stuff, but. They're all fucking miles away from me. They're all either like really down south or really up north. And I'm like, then becomes the right chore and pain to get. Because like I can go, yeah, yeah, just stick it in the mail, mate. Pop, pop it down. Yeah, pop it down. Yeah, so you've got to then get a van and spend a fucking day going out and getting it. Or you've got to pay a courier, which to be fair, I mean, you could say pay a courier a couple hundred quid and that, or a hundred quid. I don't know how much courier costs, but a 100, 150 quid or something to get it. Like sent down, that wouldn't be that bad, I guess, if you can pick up a reasonable price. But it just all seems a bit too much hassle, so I've just not done it. But anyway, going back, the pulley does do a fantastic job of replicating some form of kind of like pressing movement with the legs without actual loading, like a like I say, like a um, a bit of a belt squat. So
1: I think yeah. I, I, I definitely got a pulley, and then because it's always there, because obviously I'll say, well, come home from work going for a quarter seven. Sometimes a bit of like. Effort, not effort, but just go to the gym. It's another quarter hour drive there, train, and then come back, and have food, and i then and up for work next to the four. So you're like, it's not that much time, but you're like, actually, just come home at six, go, and, go in the garage, and be done by about seven. Rather than being done by nine, which is, you know, it's only on the one day, but, you know, it makes a difference.
0: It's always there, isn't it? Hmm. You know, fancy a pump, go down there, <laughs> Thought you were talking about a red light district then, mate. <laughs> Fancy here, pump going on Speaking of red light district, and I will get on about my own training and nutrition update in a minute, but uh I've been watching Amsterdam Vice on Sky. Well, worth a watch. It's all right. It's kind That's of good. Uh, Well, it's a bit like a rip off of Miami Vice, but obviously based in Amsterdam. It is all in Dutch and subtitles, so that might put a few people off, but I'll be honest, I forgot after about 10 minutes that it was. And just you know, a bit like if you ever watch Narcos or whatever else, once you get into it, you actually forget its subtitles. You just lose the consciousness of it yeah, yeah. Uh, but worth watch quite intri- quite funny quite funny in bits and actually um, like the name makes me laugh the names in terms of obviously they're all Dutch names but there's like a baddie in there called Bob Donkers makes me laugh literally Bob Donkers D-O-N-K-E-R-S, Donkers. Um, Bob Donkers the way they say it in the Dutch accent makes you laugh Bob Donkers or uh, Jura De Kok. that's the main character's name Jura De Kok. <laughs> well Jura J-U-R-R-E I think D-E- C O C K, Eureka Cock. De All right. Yeah, but um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure if they, those names were picked because they're funny or whether it's just you know happened to be coincidence that these Dutch names seems quite funny. But anyway, worth a watch. Um, any updates or should, should I just crack on of letting people know about what I've been up to? Let people know. Um, nutrition still maintaining uh, s- pretty much within fat. I can probably tell you, because I will have it on my lap de la top. Uh, open recent average weights. Um, what are we on at a minute? 0.41% this month. So uh, well with it. I mean, you know, the evidence-based gate, rate of gain that I was looking for is between a quarter and a half percent per month. So we we'll that realm. Pretty good. That well, does mean my average is still about 0.7, though. So my average weights over the last, since August. So I'm a bit higher than I'd like. But I mean my that was all from christmas like i think if i took my christmas weight out uh yeah it brings it down to 0.44 so basically it's the binge eating week over christmas that basically uh shot my rate of gain up but you know it is what it is I, i've still i mean I've, i weighed in uh 176 odd something like that um still reasonably lean i would stay and to a point where i think i've probably still at least got well yeah i've still got abs um not full-on shredded six-pack mind you but i've still got some remnants of abs um not that it says a lot as in we've talked about body fat distribution and stuff like that and my own personal genetics before but um i think i've probably at least got five pounds in me uh before I even got a need to consider even thinking about dieting, which you know should probably be minimum of five months um maybe maybe even a bit more it depends really how it goes in in terms of how lean I still feel in that period on as as I say as or as I've said in previous episodes, my goal is very much to just avoid dieting for as long as I can while feel it feeling like I'm on track and I'm making the right type of progress. so if I can do another five pounds gain and still feel like no, I haven't put on excess body fat that I needed to winner that's basically all i need all i'm doing the rest of it i'm not really even worrying about i'm not worrying about too much around um well i'm not i'm not really even worrying too much about training in that i'm following uh a program um which is going really really well really enjoying it uh i think i, sp- I spoke before around moving away from a um a, 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 i suppose it's an upper lower type split to something a bit more mixed um and a higher frequency per week but volume is probably less than usual than i was doing in in reality so it's like higher frequency but actually my overall overall volume of body parts probably less which is interesting actually because i guess that would scare a lot of people I think what doesn't mean you're gonna be losing muscle and i'm i mean i'm never gonna know probably um i don't f- Sorry. yeah yeah just ne- i'm never probably gonna actually be able to tell but i don't feel like i am um lifts have all gone the right direction every week there is, I think, an element of the training itself, and I think I spoke about it last time I spoke about an update. The element, the training itself, kind of almost builds in like progression in that. And what I mean by that is that, it, like, you're not, I'm not trained to failure all the time, so that, like, if I trained a failure and then the next week you beat, you train a failure again, but you beat last week's reps, you know you progressed. It's kind of like how it goes. This is a bit like harder to quantify because I'm, you know, I guess the target reps for each week that I'm being given. Um, is uh reasonably off failure so i guess that doesn't really allow me to know that am i really progressing or am i just like not quite as close to failure because it's hard to tell basically week to week so especially when sometimes obviously the load's changing and stuff and the reps are going down and it's hard to then compare like one week to the next but it makes even just that that kind of hitting the numbers makes me feel like i'm doing the right thing and i'm progressing which to be honest sometimes is enough like the the psychology of it and just getting you into the gym and just kind of doing the numbers is more than enough and more than enough progress and actually knowing you've you know you're beaten by a rep or whatever because i think like we said before going in and lifting you don't if you didn't beat last week's total doesn't mean you didn't didn't make any progression doesn't mean you didn't cause hypertrophy when hypertrophy is your goal because we used the example before about reps to failure and knowing that the evidence says that the effective reps in air quotes are those kind of like final four to five reps before you fail well if you do one rep to failure one week and then do three reps to failure the next week does that mean that oh well then you didn't progress at all you didn't cause any hypertrophy that week well we you still cause hypertrophy just not as much as the week before because you only went to three reps instead of one but you still cause hypertrophy and I guess there's in part in my head if, if I'm hitting the numbers whether I'm progressing in air quotes and i'm causing much hypertrophy the week before isn't it really relevant to me because i still think i'm still causing some hypertrophy whether it's more or less than the week before it doesn't really matter because i'm not i'm not basically what i'm saying is i'm not obsessed with having to have like the most optimal rate of hypertrophy like i'm just happy to train kind of over the longer period know that i'm going to be progressing in some way whether it's one week or whether it's you know not progressing for a week but i will the next and i'll never know because i'm not really quantifying those numbers really against each other because i'm just following the program as such but I don't know if i waffled a bit that, if it actually makes any sense to anyone else about knowing what the spreadsheet looks like but and my training programme looks like. But.
1: As long as you're getting stronger over time anyway, and volume at those levels is getting a little bit bigger then it's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Well, there's, definitely, a bit, there's definitely a bit too much I think focus on volume whereas the focus probably should be more on adding weight over time because obviously there's only a certain there's a ceiling to the volume, yeah. Well, it is obviously the
0: weight you have to as well. But <clears throat> yeah, I was, I'll be honest. I was about to say I think I disagree with you in that. I I think yeah, I think people would be better focusing on increasing volume than they would be focusing on increasing weight if their goal is hypertrophy. Obviously, if it's strength, then you need to focus on weight because it's you know fundamentally you need to lift heavier to get stronger. Um, I don't think you need to lift that much stronger in the short term at all. In the short to medium term, not that much. In the longer term, yes, you will have to lift strong, be, be, get stronger. But I actually think like it's such a, a a proxy rather than a driver. Like like getting stronger is not a driver for hypertrophy. We know that. I think actually getting stronger allows you to do more volume over time, um, and I think obviously. <sighs> the conversation can really get conflated quite easily because like you say there is only so much volume you can do because you can't keep adding sets every week because you run out of time like you'll get to a point where you're training five hours a day and you can't keep adding sets so you have to then add weight to the bar to make up the extra volume because you run out of time to just add more sets or more reps or whatever so I, I get your point there I just think it doesn't That doesn't mean it's still the fundamental principle for me. I still think the principle is still very much that volume driver because I think that's what the literature says for hypertrophy. I think for muscle gain, that is what it is. I think more people would do better just focusing on just kind of increasing volume over time. But obviously, the point there is it is over time. Um, Ironically, I guess that really when it comes to having a good progressive training program where you're cycling volume because I guess it's like... I'm trying to think of like how, how we can quantify like volume like now, but let's just say hard sets, because that's I think that's the best way to quantify like how many hard sets you're doing for an exercise or for a body part or whatever. So if you're doing like three hard sets, four hard sets, five hard sets, and that's how you're increasing your volume, great. You can't keep doing six, seven, eight, nine, ten because you'll run out of time, as we said. So you kinda of have these periods of where you're doing more volume, then you have to cycle back to two, to three, to four to re-sensitise, but also that gives you an opportunity to then maybe increase the weight of that period. So obviously you're like it's never a case of um, they're completely binary or uh, or it's a di- like completely dichotomous because you will have periods of where you like they both count like extra volume and extra intensity will both count and obviously that's generally how programs work you increase volume um, or increase intensity over time and as in- intensity volume has to go down and vice versa that's just the way programs like uh, it's fundamentally the principles of lifting that has to happen um, yeah yeah so I think like going back to my thing that's why I think I disagree I think volume I think too many people basically sacrifice volume I guess this is the easiest way to say it too many people sacrifice volume when their goal is hypertrophy because they think they need to lift heavy and get strong and they end up not doing the right amounts or really effective volume because they just end up fucking lifting too heavy do
1: you think that's because they end up getting the thing of oh I'll just try and do two or three rep sets rather than going actually let's get stronger in this rep range not all, let's add the weight to the bar, but you start on a 100k bench, whatever, for, for 10, or 205 actually do 105 next being 8, and then it just goes down and down and down, rather than going actually right like 100, because we are increasing volume. Now, rather than going, you know, 100 for 10, maybe 100 for 11, which is obviously increasing volume, but then maybe trying a 102, maybe again back to 10, and doing it that way, people end up just going right, let's see how everything is there for two reps, one rep. I think so, what's
0: the point? I think I think that's where it gets to. I think the problem is, is people like you know. I, I don't think many people. So like newbies when they go to the gym, I don't think people think like a two reps. I mean, certainly I didn't. Anyway, when I got into the gym, I didn't. I didn't go in a gym and think two reps was a good target. If I'd have done two reps, like if I could only do two reps on, I'd have probably thought to myself, I'm not sure this is the right thing to do. It's probably too heavy. I probably need to be doing more than two reps. So. Yeah. will do because i guess like especially when if someone goes into two reps, like basically i went into a gym and if i lifted two reps or something that's all i could do i probably got off that for exercise and thought i felt like i hadn't done nothing like no pump no no feeling and i don't know whether like everyone does that or whether they even think that in depth into it but i used to think like if i didn't feel if i didn't feel like something had worked then like how do i know it worked like if i if my chest didn't hurt or You know, I felt like something happened to my chest, like when I'm doing a bench press. Like, I I always think to myself, how do I even know it did anything? I suppose, like that, you know, I think back now and think, actually, that's probably a really good thing to think of at the time when you know fuck all about lifting. Um, So, I think if I'd have gone in and did like a two rep max on a bench press, I'd have thought to myself, nah, there's something wrong here. Like, because obviously, you're not going to get any biofeedback from a two rep, like, certainly at that level when you don't know how to contract properly anyway. I think I'd have thought to myself, "Nah, this is this and doing fuck all." So I'd probably purposely load the weights to try and feel it a bit more. Anyway, I'm not saying by any stretch that I was I had good form of lifting because I definitely didn't. But I think that's just how I might have thought at the time, looking back. But I think a lot of people start at like eight, nine, 10 reps, or what you know, whatever the magic fucking hypertrophy reps are. They've read a Men's Health magazine or whatever, and I think they then focus so much on, "Well, I've got to get stronger because if I don't get stronger, then I'm not going to be getting bigger." So as they add more weight and weight to the bar every single week they get to a point where they can only do two reps because they've just progressed the intensity so fucking rapid that they end up doing two reps, three reps every week because they can't do any more. And they get, then obviously they're like, well, I can't put more weight on because I'll do one weight rep. So that's just how they end up falling in this magic kind of cycle or pit of just doing the same fucking heavy shit. And they then sacrifice their volume. That's kind of what I meant. I think that's where people go wrong. I think they would be better off just kind of just trying to focus around the same sort of rep ranges and not worry about intensity so much. And just focus on just that hypertrophy training. I think that's it.
1: I think if you're over a 16 week block or 12, whatever, you can order regularly, you can 4 weight, 12, 16, 20, whatever. You know, if, you, if you're increasing weight on the bar through that time and you've got, let's say you start on, I don't know, two sets of 100 for 10 reps and you end up doing, you know.
0: So that your. Lasagna burning mate.
1: And you end up doing like uh I don't know, five sets of 105 for you know, 10 reps at the end of week 16. You got stronger. You've done more volume. Reset. Start again. Start with 102.5 for 100k for 10 reps and progress from there, or change an exercise or do that. As long as you, as long as you're doing that. Over the long term, you're pretty good. There's a lot of talk about what's optimal. Like, yeah, well, optimal isn't always optimal because of your genetics and your life, mm-hmm. how things work in your life. So I think <clears throat> our industry does get bogged down with the money. names like, fuck, it gives you shit. Nobody gives a fuck apart from the like top athletes who really matters to to me. And you, if you. If you focus on increasing volume over time I focus increasing well, you focus more on volume, I focus more on more on adding weight to the bar and we were the same person as in genetically, what, what difference is it really gonna make over sixteen weeks with the same genetics? Can hardly anything. If nothing at all. It's like, oh well. But it's like it's like the thing with old fucking uh, McDonald, Lyle and fucking Israel tell It's like it's a
0: bit of a fucking pointless argument really, is it? You know? <laughs> But yeah, well, yeah, that is. That it's just it's funny and there's so
1: a lot. There's a lot of things. The old principle boils down to something that's fair, is fairly simple for us mere mortals. If you want to get bigger, eat more calories, get stronger on the bar, answer more volume, rest. Does it?
0: That's this is what again. This is why I disagree. There, I think I all I would do is flip those two sentences around. Where I'd say, eat more calories, do more volume, and by proxy, you'll probably get stronger on the bar anyway. Well, yeah, yes. That That's all I would say. Is like again, it's just I wouldn't focus on getting stronger. I'd focus on doing more volume, and by you know, as I say, they're not, they're not. There's not a dichotomy situation where you won't get stronger because you probably will. You'll probably get stronger just purely because no. you're lifting you know it's just how it work, the way it works obviously if it, it does get to a point if you're lifting the same thing for the same reps for the same sets all the fucking time you're probably not then going to be going anywhere and making any progression but hopefully most people don't do that and the, i mean the ideal is like you say you go through cycles of kind of increasing volume increasing intensity reset deload and then start again start that wave almost again but hopefully at a slightly more progressed or higher point than you previously started that wave so you can then progress through and obviously over time that will increase volume and increase intensity over time
1: but, and you and people do need to be sensible, John. If you if you for your like if you scored 100 and whatever 100k for 10, and <clears throat> the 10th rep was you probably couldn't do 11. So let's say you no, know, let's let's call it failure. It's not really, but you know, we're really there. You're not a 110 on the next week, you. Well, you shouldn't because you ain't going to do it. You should probably go right. Let's look at either making that rep and reserve one more. So effectively, it becomes marginally easier, or maybe trying for the 11th reps. So it definitely needs to be a bit of sense in what you do. If you if you do are looking to add weight to the bar, you need to it needs to be in the right place as well.
0: Because
1: mm-hmm. it's easy, because it's very easy to go right. This perfect squat 100 for 10, and then the next you go, or oh, I'll try 105 for 10. However, the squat's was deep. And you think oh, I've done ten, so I progressed. But have you really? Because your know, squats are higher, so have you really progressed? So that's where that's where it, all comes back down to form. You've got that. Your form has got to be full range of motion, unless of course there's an injury that stops you. So you've always got a you've always got a datum, a zero line. That is where I have to go. So you know you you have increased weight or increased reps or whatever. Because how often do you see people in the gym? Every rep is different. It's like, how how do you progress? You don't know. You may have added 5k to the bar, but how do you know it's the same rep? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you progressed? That was up to that. Make sure your form is correct. Full range of motion, yeah, okay. You can't lift as much weight because you can't. If you're going knees to chest and leg press, you ain't, you're you putting the weight in half. That might be a fucking ego fucking killer for a lot of people. However, the goal is, again, is not to look good. As in you
0: know, on the bar is to get well. It, yeah, as I was say, if if your goal is to build muscle, your your goal is actually to create as most stimulus as you possibly can with as little weight as possible, almost um, within you know certain contexts or parameters. So, like you say, the goal is not to look like you you can lift heavy. The goal is to actually create that stimulus. Yeah. And, if, and if and if you can create this kind of stimulus or create enough stimulus and have less fatigue. By having a lower weight, but a far better form, so you know that that you know a full active range of motion, control through the lift, that type of stuff. Why wouldn't you do it? It's like it's like being able to buy the same meal but at half the price. Why would you not choose the half the price for the same meal as as the instead of the full price? You know, because the the fatigue cost is a lot less.
1: And I do, I do find that you have this issue. So because obviously people know Ronnie Coleman is he's probably the best body of all time. He used to do a lot of partial reps and he used to say it keeps, pre- it keeps tension on the muscle, right? Okay. Despite the fact you're missing half the fucking muscle's range of motion but whatever.
0: Well, and, you, yeah, and, and you're probably doing half the reps you could do if you actually just did a, a, a full, full rep with a pause. Yeah. So it's like
1: how often you get, I get it quite a lot. I know people who do it. Like, oh, I'm keeping the tension on here, See, you're doing half a rep. It's easy it's, it's easy. To go, you know, three inches off your chest in a bench press it's pathetic. And I look at it's pathetic what well, do you do. I've oof- oof- lifted for years and years and years and full well what what are, what full range of motion is. Is like, so what's the point? Is and it's less issues in your joints when you full range of motion.
0: Yeah, I think like people say about locking out the leg press, say so as an example, where oh no, you can't lock out because obviously you're then taking the tension off your quads. Say it's like well yeah, but. If you're doing, if you're not locking out and you know, kind of performing like or full range, rot locking out almost. I mean, not saying full lockout, but as in, you know, you probably don't really want to be full locking out. But as in, on a leg press, anyway, you've seen those videos where the leg goes the other way or the knee joint goes the other way when they shouldn't do what. <laughs> um, but either do or so unlucky. Well, there's just a fucking stupid amount of weights on them, aren't they? or you got a fucked up joint in the first place. But anyway, yeah. um, all, all I'm saying is, obviously, doing like a half rep instead of a full range of motion you might do like you know you're keeping the tension on the muscle and not having a almost a rest between reps almost but you're also probably doing half the amount of reps you could do because you're fucked you're tired because they don't have that constant tension so the actual time and attention on the muscle might be the same whichever way you end up doing because where you do where you're you've got full time attention no rest in the the kind of the, the non-lockout version you know for want of a phrase um, you're also doing half the reps so you're doing twice the reps so you might have less time and attention per rep you're doing twice the reps so it works out the same anyway
1: yeah I imagine your systemic fatigue is increasing quite a lot if you're just just banging out reps and not really concerned what you're doing just, just chucking the weight up yeah. you know, well, obviously cardiovascular is going to be taking a hit as well Why they go you know if at the top of a squat you're going you're taking a breath and then going again full range of motion taking a breath going again going again going again, going again, going again. I would imagine that's, that's definitely better than three quarters, three quarter rep in, you know, you know, you know the ones you're just bouncing up yeah, and down. Yeah, yeah, down, down, down. It's like, well, the reps are too fast generally, down. Um, they're not going all the way. It's like, oh, keep attention on them. Yeah, be a knock because you're making it easier. That's why you're doing it that way. Yeah. Well, you I'm, can't do it. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> different um, with the mechanics on the squat and they can just sit in and, you know, asked, asked, and by
0: a lot of people can't do that. So follow range of motion for you, I should say then. Yeah. Well, obviously there's, I think we've talked about active and passive ranges of motion and stuff and obviously genetics and things before. But um, what I was going to say before we recorded, which uh, I said obviously we'd update on the podcast, is one thing that I was going to say about my training is that um, two or three weeks ago, I started suffering, or maybe longer than that, four or five weeks ago, I started suffering from a very sore groin almost a bit like a groin strain like when i was deep in a squat so when i was kind of in the hole um this like i I wouldn't really f- yeah i wouldn't really feel like a lot of pain a lot of the time but then when i started training and um kind of squatting as soon as i kind of got into you know like below parallel like i was just getting this pain in my left side of my groin and I've had something like that before and I said, Oh, please don't tell me it's a recurrence of like a sports hernia injury that I've had before, which is effectively like a sports hernia it isn't really a hernia, it's more of a like a really severe grip, uh, groin strain or tear, where like sometimes some of the adductors inside like or the adductors inside that goes in, you know, up into your pelvis behind your ball sack um, yeah, Chinese face um, can tear away from the pelvis and be really painful. And obviously, that like the only thing to fix that basically is an operation, it doesn't just heal itself. And I was thinking, oh no, like please don't tell me I've done something like that. I mean, it wasn't horrendous, but it was like consistent enough over a few weeks. I thought oh, I'm gonna have to get some treatment because it's just not going away. So I went to see a physio um, and get. they gave me a few exercises and they basically said they think that. Um, well, the guy said, "Guy <laughs> goes, all right, Let's just do some screening. So, can you do a um, can you do a, a one-legged squat then on that leg?" And I was like, "Mate, I couldn't do a one-legged squat on that leg, even if I wasn't fucking injured. <laughs> oh, sorry, yeah, let alone with an injury." He said, "You can hold the bed." <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, a, that, that's a bit of a stupid fucking exercise. They 95%
0: of you can't do a one-leg exercise. No, nah, I don't think he was expecting me to necessarily... I mean, he said you can, you can basically hold on the bed, so I guess he was just expecting me to just lower it out. Immediately, he went, yeah, I think you've got a weak... I mean, compared to your right to your left, he said you've definitely got a weak left side, which is probably something to do with your glute max or something on that side. Um, he did a few other things, like some massage and some play around, and he, he worked out, he thinks it's my gracilis muscle, which is like a muscle on the inside of my thigh that kind of goes up into the groin which is just tight or inflamed or maybe a partial tendonitis on the, where the tendon joins. Um, I was like, mm, okay, what's the, what's, what's the diagnosis then docs so or what's the recovery process? And he as well? Rest really. You can do some warm up stuff, but basically just don't squat. I was like, Oh, that's not really the answer I wanted. <laughs> um, but uh, to be honest, I kind of had, uh, assumed that was probably going to end up being the case especially if i thought it wasn't a sports hernia it was going to be some form of strain or a tendonitis i thought they're just going to say rest because that's generally what it always comes down to um but i did that basically I did is he gave me like some clamshell exercises to try and exercise like the left glute some adductor and abductor type movements just to kind of um get the hips and stuff warmed up um and to be honest for a week made no difference like literally no difference and then I went to see a second session where I got a different lady and had to go through sort of like a similar screening stuff. Um, first guy was a bloke, this was a lady. Lady was definitely better. And uh, she gave me some, she said, um, he's on, I, think, I think we're on the right lines of like that might be the problem, but I'm not sure the strengthening exercise, and he gave me strengthening exercises, uh, are really going to be the key. Because I don't think necessarily that, even though it does look a bit weak, I think it's actually more an activation problem. I was like, mm, okay. So she gave me some like activation exercises that I've been doing. I will say, fuck me, it made a difference. Like immediately, fifty percent better. Like the first time I did any type of squat movement, I was like, well, I didn't do this last week. Um, to a point where, like today, like third leg session since I think where there is still some issues there, but it's like a three out of ten rather than a nine out of ten or an eight out of ten pain that it was before. So that made a huge amount of difference. And what was, like I said to the lady. Um, because I think this is what reminded me when we were pre talking about a call. Because you said about cramp, and cr- I don't know what I said about getting cramp in the bicep. But I said to her, like when when she was doing some um, massage and stuff, I got cramp in a hamstring, and I was like, "Can I just straighten my leg out?" And she's like, "You got cramp?" I said, "Yeah, really bad." <laughs> and I was laughing, and she said, "Ah, uh, um, uh, said yeah, go go on cramp." And I said, uh, um, "I get cramp quite a lot, actually." I said, I want, "Like, is it is this anything to do with it?" And she said, "Well, it might be." Um, because I said I I seem to be when I'm doing like long longer distance running, so like the ten k run. I said towards the end I'm starting to get like quite crampy hamstrings. She said it's probably your hamstrings working because um, obviously the hamstrings tie in behind the glutes. She said if your glutes aren't working, your hamstrings basically take over and take a lot of the effort load. So they're probably just tiring out and you're burning your hamstrings out. So um, this week when I went running and after I'd done these kind of glute activation stuff, fuck me, not even a single sign of cramp.
1: So, and some simple defects as well
0: yeah oh, don't, don't you, basically all I've had to do is Excuse lay <laughs> pretty much yeah lay 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 on the floor uh face down um keep my pelvis and abs like static or or you know just contract the abs so your pelvis don't move, and then try, and then bent like con, um contract my knee so it's pointing to the ceiling, so you can imagine I'm laying prone face down the or foot up in the air so it's pointing towards the ceiling, and then basically try and squeeze my foot to the ceiling using my glute only. So, obviously, keeping the pelvis locked and just so it's really contracting the glute. And to be honest, that's all I've been doing. Like, 10 set reps of them. Uh, 10 rep sets of them for a couple of sets. And uh, that's made a fucking massive difference. It's unreal. And I wouldn't have thought I had glute problems before. I wouldn't have said I had glute sh- like strength issues before. Bear in mind, I do have some glute work in my training programs and stuff. But yeah, it's amazing. I think the, the left side glute issues are like historic problems of ACL reconstruction I had for the last, you know, 12 years ago. Um, I've had a recently um like irritated knee on that side as well which i think has probably caused like a knock-on effect of maybe like my glute being funny and like then and then obviously that's called the groin issue so it's all kind of related i think but yeah mm-hmm. i thought i'd update it in terms of how important it is to kind of get some professional help and try and because she said basically if i kept training she said if you'd have kept training it just never got any better you just just have like tendonitis or or this kind of inflamed issues this information consistently and I'd probably never really get better So, which to be honest I've had 10 nights in elbows for I'm literally talking years like a year before where I just tried to train around it slash through it and it took like a year and a half or a year to, to kind of eventually disappear when I kind of look back and think I probably should have just did some exercise or got some help or rested it for a few weeks and then not have to suffer for an entire year
1: Yeah, recovery is definitely like stretching properly, activation, mass sports massage. I mean, I know I know the Yanks but like stretching people, you can just go and they stretch you out. I mean, if you can do all that sort of stuff and keep yourself supple, you're definitely saving injuries. You know, it might cost you money. Of course, it'll cost you money. But, you know, if you love to train, then it's going to save you time in the long run, yeah. really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, well, it's just a health check. That's effectively all it is. And I think uh, I just wish I'd done it before. I've also just realized that we're an hour into a podcast so with not even touched on our topic again. It's all relevant, bro. Well, I think. It's all, hopefully it's interesting. We were, obviously, we were going to talk around, um, I suppose, expectations of frequency of junk food, uh, weren't we? Because I guess we were inspired by um, a few things of late that we've seen around. Restriction and junk food and kind of like people's perception of how often they should be eating these types of foods and stuff like that. It brought some interesting conversation in it, but we'll we'll save that for another week. Um, instead, they, people have just got us talking about training and some updates on our our own stuff. Do you know? Do you
1: know what was hard this week? And I realized why I don't want wife, to know, mate. Well you shouldn't see know overweight labour <laughs> and then two days labour? Uh, oh my god, it was horrific
0: what it needed didn't enjoy it it's hard work. Right.
1: no I like Dix. it's it's competition isn't it so I gotta do more than everybody else <laughs> but, so, like, I wonder how many cars have been in here now, it's like we, imagine there was a uh, raised deck metal steps quite sheer so eight steps down and then down the side of a house steps about 25 steps so in that area I managed to do 20,000 steps nice <laughs> okay. well picking Shoveling and every step was with at least 20 kilos on a shoulder every time.
0: You're gonna have Roy Ritchie quads at this rate, mate.
1: And it was, you think, but I think, about it, you just think <clears throat> people do, like it, goes, like, it sort of touches on what we're gonna talk about, but people having like meals, like, like cheap meals, and people call it, didn't they? You know, once a week. It's like, if you are got a job like that and you labour every day, you could probably get away with that a couple of times a week because you burn so much. It's fucking incredible. But if you're shutting your ass all day in you know, the desk, you probably can't get away with it, because the difference in... Uh, you wouldn't really call it neat. Well, not really, but you know, your day-to-day activity is so much more laborious, unbelievable, mm-hmm. compared to a. Uh, I'll
0: t- I tell, tell you what these comments remind me of, though. Herman Ponce's work around the exercise paradox, I think, what he calls it, in uh, where he's... Um, he he does a lot of research in kind of hunter gatherer populations, and he's done a lot of kind of analysis on things like energy expenditure in uh, I don't know the Hadza tribe or I can't remember a couple of different um, kind of like say hunter gatherer type populations that still exist, and obviously found that they don't burn even though they're kind of you know hunter gatherers, so they are hunting and scavenging all day. A lot of them they don't actually burn many more if any more calories than we do, which you would say is madness because you think well how, how does that work then? Because if someone is active all day on, like you know, they might go on two or three day hunts to kill a fucking wild bison or something, or you know, and the females are out scavenging for berries and honey and you know, or whatever all the time. Compare, why do they not burn many more calories or any more calories really than the average sedentary Westerner that we are? Because you'd say that just doesn't make any sense. That's why it's called the ex- exercise paradox in this this kind of hypothesis um i I guess like people are hypothesizing that it's because because obviously our energy expenditure is is, kind of made up of compartments like you know your bmr your the thermic effect of food your knee and stuff that these other compartments will reduce to stop your energy expenditure being overly dramatic because obviously it's not good for survival let's be honest if you're burning a fuck ton of calories to try and you know get some subsistence subsistence um Interesting, I guess. Obviously, that's a whole another podcast topic, at another time. But and I don't know enough about it to really to kind of have anything other than the overview I've just given. But it's it always interests me as a concept because, you, like you say, logically, you think, well, if you are doing loads of fucking work all the time, you should be able to eat loads of calories and be able to kind of like maintain your weight or lose weight. But I think it feels like there are mechanisms within our human genetics. That stops that over. Like if you're basically a highly active person over a long period of time, and it does make sense when you then start to kind of play it out in your mind around. Oh, yeah, okay. If you're an endurance athlete and you're running loads all the time, they're not eating seven, eight, nine thousand calories every single day, um, even though they might. You might say that they're, you know, they're, you think they're burning that many because they're doing so many miles and stuff. Because i guess our bodies do just you know we know our bodies adapt to cardio we know that other metabolic processes adapt to kind of stop you wasting away and dying we know that things like mitochondrial and cells don't burn as many calories um and i think all of these things start to make sense actually yeah there obviously is kind of like a limit to the amount of work you can do
1: 100 um, the first two days i'm inefficient know, i'm inefficient at doing that stuff mm. i did it every day i become more efficient i wouldn't make my back wouldn't whatever. So then you burn less carriage because you're more efficient. Mm. The more inefficient. You well, are, e- even in the
0: movement patterns themselves. Yeah,
1: it become easier. Yeah. Or you'll find shortcuts around there or you get it, you you know, you all the shovel differently, if it's easier or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I think I think you lose like less energy from heat. You're, like I said about mitochondria, obviously you start to there basically your mitochondria consumes less energy to work. For cells to actually just do their things and just stuff like that, I think it makes sense really. In that, over if you just consistently do stuff over a longer period, and obviously that, that kind of like aligns with this hypothesis for hunter gatherers and why they don't burn any more calories than the rest of us. Yeah. I, in cross the
1: eight hours and the it I didn't need to go to the toilet once. Really? And I drank a coffee in the morning, half a litre before I went, and two and a half litres there, didn't eat a piss yeah. once.
0: Well obviously sweat. Sweat. Yeah, I was gonna say you're obviously dehydrating in other other ways, sweat and breath obviously I think people don't realize how much fluid you lose from vapor in your breath, so oh, I guess obviously a lot yeah, when you're burning calories obviously uh part of the um, uh byproduct obviously c o two and obviously uh i don't know, actually i don't really know the the the, the biology or the the yeah or the biology of this part, the chemistry of this part, but obviously you do lose water vapor out of your mouth but anyway anyway that's an interesting topic maybe Uh I wonder whether old Herman himself would come on he's been on Danny Lennon's. So I think that's what I heard of him to start with and did a little bit of reading and stuff but like I say I think he put out a paper called The Exercise Paradox which is well worth a read if anyone is interested in that because it is um, especially when you think of these guys they're like you know going out I say all day every day just on their feet chasing animals and stuff trying to get you know food um What's also quite cool is uh, obviously one of the things that they obviously will do is kill an animal and eat it, but you know, clearly, as I just said, but they'll also stop and if they see a beehive, just kind of grab a grab a climb up a tree, grab a beehive, and uh, just down like 2000 calories worth of honey in one go, like it's orange juice. Nice. Yeah.
1: They think as well, they're obviously quite light, so obviously they obviously don't go as on food, so obviously they'll, they'll, your weight. Obviously, makes difference how many calories burn oh, a day. Yeah, so, yeah. so was he, is he talking about the, they burn less calories as a whole, or they burn less than you thought of exercise calories?
0: Um, well, both. I think. I think basically, they you know, like the average Westerner burns you know just to pluck a number out of the air, a couple of thousand calories a day. Say maybe a bit more because obviously we're all obese. So the average Westerner maybe two, two and a half thousand. I think basically, and then yeah. You might say, well, actually, they're probably the average weight of uh, you know, someone in the Hadza tribe is probably a lot less than the average Westerner, but they don't burn any more than like two, two and a half thousand per day, even though they are literally active all day, every day. They get up and this is when the sun rises and they're active all day until they go to bed, which you would think, and when I say active, I mean, they are literally on their feet walking constantly. You think, yeah, you burn, you must burn thousands a day doing that all day, every day. But clearly they don't. There is, there is obviously some adaptation that happens in these compartments, that that kind of almost stops and uh, stops it, you know, or gives it a max limit of the many cows they can expend. Like I say, and from a survival perspective, it makes absolute sense.
1: Because it's, it's got to be obviously they've been doing that for generations. Probably those people, the tribes, since the dawn of humanity. Mm. So they had Jeanette, Obviously, they've they've obviously bred, and obviously mm. things get more efficient, and you evolve. So they evolved that as as in if you put. A westerner in our society across ten years, whatever, it's just quite a long time. Would their body adapt as well as this has?
0: I think probably. I think probably, or maybe not as exactly directly as well as, but I do think you'd <laughs> probably see the same sort of adaptations over ten years in that oh, have, or adaptation. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I think when they first get there, they probably do expend a little more than two thousand two and a half, two thousand calories per day because you know they're they're not adapted, they're not used to that workload, and they probably do burn like if they're on their feet all day every day, you probably do burn five thousand calories, say. But I suppose over time as they lose weight and I guess this adaptation or this um, well yeah, adaptation or evolution almost kicks in, they probably do start to then reduce and kind of then their energy, energy expenditure starts to match more of their intake. Just for survival purposes, I think that's obviously effectively where you end up having to inevitably be able to get if not they will just you know you waste away and die it makes sense a bit like the volume intensity argument we're talking about you know logically, you can't keep expending five thousand uh calories per day and survive because you will eventually die from an energy deficit <laughs> yeah shredded yeah I, I, yeah i mean obviously in the in the way that they can't obviously they're not eating five thousand calories per day because obviously they're Hunter gatherers don't have access to that many calories, or that much food at one time. So, no, that's true. Interesting, interesting. I think it's that's a really interesting uh topic. But I think we're probably there, mate. Let's call it a day, shall we? Hour nine. Um, hope you've enjoyed the rambles. Please share, like, rate, subscribe, all of that. Shit. Uh, buy a cheese, NNN 10. Uh, buy your protein bars, teamwarrior.com uh Using code WSNNN ten, I think. Uh, I think they're the only things we endorse. Can't think of anything else. So if you want to join our free Facebook group, please do. Uh, reach out if you want any help, support. Whether it's just ask questions, whether it's podcast topics, whether it is for coaching inquiries, whatever. Um, you can reach out and find us on Instagram, Facebook, uh, or uh, I would give out our email address. It doesn't work at the moment because we had a bit of a website fuck up. So, um, um, Mr. Yeah.
1: Tapleyer hasn't, uh,
0: hasn't managed to solve the problem. No, um, we'll get there. I, uh, I, I, I don't, know, I don't know if I told you this, but um, Amelia Thompson messaged me or um, audio messaged me. The other day and said, "Just, uh, I don't know if you know this, and um, I just, in air quotes, accidentally clicked on your link uh, for your website, and uh, just let you know that your website doesn't work." I said, "Yeah, I know that. Thanks for telling me." But she said, yeah. "Oh right, okay. You probably didn't want me telling you then." I said, "Well, no. I'm glad you did because I may not have known." Um, also, by the by, didn't he? did you know this? she was on first dates this week? You know, first dates hotel, whatever is that program? No. no, you know what it is though.
1: Random first dates or random people, I imagine, something like
0: that. Yeah, kind of, but you've never seen it. No, bloody hell, fucking hell. Oh, you must have done that. Um, uh, that uh, Fre- uh, the French, uh, fr- uh, I can't think of his name. Um, does yeah, that show with Gino De Campo and uh, no. No, you got the wrong thing, mate. Not that guy. Not Gino De Campo. There So There was he's in that. He's in the show with
1: Gino and Gordon Ramsay. That's that guy who shot horses at the show.
0: Oh right. Oh no, I don't know. I don't know. No. I wouldn't know, but it wouldn't surprise me because he's now a, he's now like a celebrity in his own right, purely off this show because everyone loved him in it. But he was basically the the obviously the restaurant host. Um, oh, fuck, I know his name, but I can't think of it. I don't know why I can't think of it. But yeah, that show. Um, she, they did a first dates hotel, uh, which is somewhere in Italy, and she went there. I was like, I know her. What the fuck is she doing this? No, to be fair, I only watched it because I saw she was on it. She put it on her Instagram. So like, I'll watch that and see what she got on. So, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't watch that shit, that tripe. Yeah, it is very shite, isn't it? Yeah, it's shite. Um, well, I'll say it's shite. I'll be honest, 10 years ago, I would have watched that and loved it. And I still don't mind it now, really. But I just don't go my way to watch that type of television anymore because I've grown as an individual and I'm far more introspective. <laughs> such a son I rat <laughs> oh I'm joking uh, right anyway on that note I'm definitely going to say or why I think because I think people are probably fed up for our rambling if they aren't already uh, signed off many minutes ago so um, have a great week mate and I will speak to you in a minute probably I don't know at some point see you on the flip side see you on the flip side bye thank you for listening to the nnn podcast if you enjoyed the show please help us by rating on your podcast provider sharing with your networks so we can get our content out to more people see you next week